Welcome to the weekly podcast of Bright Star Bible Church. I'm Pastor Michael Branch. As we begin, we pray, Lord, sanctify us in truth. Your word is truth. We're going to be picking up right where we left off last week, where Michael left off. Now, um, these last five verses that we're going to cover, don't read them yet, because we've got some homework to do before that. Uh, this is the, the last part of, the ch- of chapter 3, and then we'll move into chapter 4. Um, but with these final verses, Paul kind of gives a, uh, a summary of not only the chapter, but everything that he's covered from chapter 1 to chapter 2 and now into chapter 3. So, before we read our text, I want to get you guys thinking. I want you to think about everything that we've read so far up to this point. We're going to call this uh, congregation participation. Um, And I know some of your hearts just sank because you're like, oh, you're going to get tested. Uh, It's not like that. So, these last these first three chapters that we've read, there is an overarching theme. So, can anyone tell me, this is called the immediate context, by the way. There's an overarching theme, and that's the immediate context, what Paul is actually addressing there in Corinth. So, um, can anyone tell me, what are some of the things that Paul has addressed so far in his letter? Did someone say division? Well, that's a great one. Yes. So division is one that Paul has had to address. Um, it was, you know, people dividing under certain leaders. Well, I like Paul better, or I like Apollos better, or I like Peter better. Um, so leadership in, in that, that division was a big thing that they were having to cover. But their division, there was something that, that came from that division, that, that was the, kind of the root of the issue. You might say that, that uh, fleshliness, Paul brings up fleshliness, you are fleshly, we read about it this morning actually, that could be the root, but I think that there's something even deeper that is a deeper root cause for this. All throughout these three chapters, Paul continually uses the words wisdom and foolishness. And so the overarching theme is that they were exalting, they were lifting up, they thought higher of the human wisdom than they should. And that led to division. They thought that human wisdom is more important, so then we can divide and say, well, I think that this person's wisdom is higher than this person's wisdom. They also became fleshly thinking that, oh, I can kind of sit on the fence. I can be a Christian and still dip my toes in the world over on this side. And so, and they, they were also worldly. That was another word that, that Paul used often. That worldliness, being obsessed with the things of the world, fame, fortune, pros, uh, prosperity, and, and success, those are things that come from human wisdom. Our human wisdom tells us that that is the thing that we should set our eyes on. And Paul says that those things are foolishness to Christ. Now, we still haven't read our five verses this morning, but I... I want to get the full context. I want you guys to completely understand this. So with the theme and the root of the the whole point being the elevation of human wisdom, with that in mind, 
we are going to look throughout the chapter and get an idea of what he is saying about this human wisdom. So we're going to start in chapter 1 and verse 17 through 20. Chapter 1, verse 17 through 20. All this whole portion is going to be in 1 Corinthians, by the way, so you're not going to have to flip too far. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross would be made void. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who have been saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? So this word foolishness comes from the word moriah, and the term, the term made foolish comes from the, word, the Greek word moros, which is where we get our word moron from. So Paul is using some very serious language about these people, about being foolish. They're, they are moronic. <clears throat> And, and in light of the wisdom of Jesus, of, of the power of Christ, they are, they are absolutely foolish. And, but that, that wisdom is foolishness to them. And in the, in the verses just before these, Paul is talking about Apollos and himself and Cephas. They've created these, these factions underneath these lead, this leadership, which was never, never supposed to happen. But why did it happen? We know they were wrong. Why did it happen? It happened. They weren't, because it was, they weren't preaching different gospels. They weren't preaching a different message. They had the same message. They may have done it differently, but they, the reason why they, found, they fell under this leadership and they decided to, to form these factions was because they exalted human wisdom. That's what they found their joy, their peace, their patience, they found all of that in, the, in human wisdom. If it made sense to them, then they went with it. Yet in their own human wisdom, they looked at the credentials of their leaders. They listened to who spoke more eloquently, maybe who had more passion or who dressed better or who was more entertaining. They looked and they judged their leadership the same way the world judged that, that leadership. And the, the wisdom of, with the wisdom of men, they sought and exalted that human wisdom. They couldn't see past that human wisdom long enough to see that they were truly foolish. Next one we're looking at is chapter 1, verse 27 through 31. But God has cho chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and despised, God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his, by his doing, you are in Christ, who became up to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So the shame that Paul is referring to here, this is not worldly shame. This is not... Um, they say something ridiculous and then they're shamed right there in front of public. So, uh, sometimes that happens, but most likely he is referring to eternal damnation. Can, can you imagine? Can you imagine spending eternity in suffering and in regret, 
knowing now how wise and smart and intelligent you once thought you were? How much more dreadful and agonizing would your suffering be when you're faced with such shame as you're suffering? And the realization of how foolish you were. But because true Christians are the foolish of the world, God has chosen to reveal the truth to true Christians. And so the, that truth could never be understood by that human wisdom. And just as Paul mentions righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, these are the, this is the work of Christ in us. And something that cannot be understood by human wisdom. Chapter 2, verse 1. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Verse 4 and 5, And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. You should be seeing a pattern now. Verses 9 and 10, But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen, and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, that all, or that all that God has prepared for those who love Him. For us, God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. So here this term wisdom is implied. It's not directly stated. Um, but then again, we see it in 12, verses 12 through 14. Now we have received, not the Spirit of the Word, but the Spirit through, who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts and spiritual words. But the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. They are foolishness. They are moronic to, to the natural man. Verses three or chapter 3, verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as men of the flesh, as to infants in Christ. Again, that wisdom is implied. They couldn't understand the wisdom that he wanted to give them, which was that solid food. Verses 3 and 4, For you are still fleshly, for since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am a Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? Walking like mere men, they are, have, they are walking in their own human wisdom. Verses seven, or 6 and 7, this is also implied when Paul states, uh, neither is anything. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth, so that neither one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God causes the growth. The growth that we're talking about is not growing up. Being, being a, a little toddler on up to an adult. It's talking about wisdom, gaining wisdom, gaining understanding, Christ-like understanding. And then finally, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, according to the grace of God which was given to me like a wise master builder, or like a wide, wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So true wisdom is having a foundation that is built, based, 
solid on, the, on Jesus Christ. That is the foundation. That is that wisdom, knowing how to build your life from that point. And like Paul mentioned earlier in his letter, this is a wisdom not of this age, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So now we have this contextual theme, this overlaying contextual theme of this portion of the letter uh, to the Corinthians, which is, do not exalt human wisdom. In this human wisdom, you become foolish. Christ is the only wisdom. Christ is all that matters. And if you remain in that foolishness of the world, you will never understand the, the wisdom of Christ, the wisdom of God. So let's now see how Paul closes this final, this, this chapter right here on, on uh, chapter 3. This is verse 18 through 23. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the, this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, He is the one who catches the wisdom in their craftiness. And the Lord knows, and again, the, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise, that they are useless. So let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All things belong to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. So now as we've kind of looked through, we scammed through, uh, skimmed through this entire uh, three chapters, Paul is now telling the Corinthians how they fix this problem. And he lays out four points or correct views that they have to have, they have to know the truth of. They have to be correct in these views in order to eliminate their issues of fleshliness and their issues of division and their issues of worldliness and their issues of spiritual Im Im immaturity. So let's break this up piece by piece. Let no man deceive himself. This is the introduction to the first correct view that Paul is giving the Corinthians. Um, and this correct view is having the correct view of ourselves. First thing we have to do in order to fix the problems in the Corinthian church or in our own lives is we have to have the correct view of who we are. Who are we? We have to know ourselves. This single point, let no man deceive himself. It is, it is referenced again and again and again through Scripture. You don't have to thumb there through your, um, through your Bible. I'll have them up here. But the first one is Matthew 24, 4. Uh, see to it that no man deceives you. Mark 13, 5. See to it that no man deceives you. Luke 21, 8. See to it that you are not deceived. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do not be deceived. 1 Corinthians 15.33, do not be deceived. Galatians 6.3, we are liable to self-deception. Galatians 6.7, do not be deceived. Ephesians 5.6, let no one deceive you. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 2.3, let no one in any way deceive you. 2 Timothy 3.13, deceiving and being deceived. And uh, John 1, uh, 1 John 1, 8, we are liable to self-deception again. And 1 John 
3, 7. Make sure no one deceives you. I could go on and on and on. This list that, what, that I found, there were like 20 others. But I figured I, drew, I drove the, the point home enough. I'm sure you got the point. The, the, point, oh, the point is that there is no doubt, none whatsoever, that the apostles saw that deception was going to be a real issue. Not only in the ancient church, but on the age to come. And could anyone argue that the deception that the apostles warned, uh, warned the early church of is not still at work today in our church, deceiving Christians? I would argue that it's quite the opposite, that there is a multitude of people who are being deceived and that it is countless. So knowing this, knowing that there is such serious consequences to de being deceived, or deception, how do we avoid that deception? How do we have the correct view of, of ourselves? Paul is about to tell us. So let's look in, in verse 18 again. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. So deceptions comes from comes to those who have an incorrect, lofty view of themselves. And in their human wisdom, their thoughts, their feelings, their ideas, that's what brings them peace, like I mentioned earlier. It serves them in this world. And the believer, it's the believer and the unbeliever alike. A second century philosopher named Celsus had this to say about Christians of his day. Let no cultured person draw near, none wise and none sensible. For all that kind of thing we count evil. But if any man is ignorant, or if any man is wanting to sense, uh, wanting in sense of culture, or uh, I'm sorry, wanting in sense and culture, if anybody is a fool, let him come boldly to become a Christian. We see them in their own houses, wool dresses, cobblers, the worst, the vulgarest, and the most uneducated persons, they are like a swarm of bats or ants creeping out of their nests, or frogs holding a symposium around a swamp, or worms convening in mud. This was, this was in, uh, nine, uh, I'm sorry, 178 AD. People have had a pretty nasty view of Christianity for a very, very long time. But this man had no understanding of Christ. In his arrogance, he was blinded, and in his wisdom, he could not see the truth. But I'll tell you that this is exactly how God planned it to be. Christianity is not for the cultured person. It's not for the wise or the sensible. In fact, uh, the world would consider us ignorant, senseless, uncultured, foolish, just as Paul has wrote. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame that which is strong. The question is, as the, gro the world grows colder and colder in its tolerance to Christianity and Christians, will you cling to the wisdom of the world, or will you stand bold in your faith? Having the correct view of ourselves, this means knowing who we are in Christ 
knowing that we are not called to be of the world, nor participate in the ways of the world. In his first epistle, John wrote in chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lusts of the flesh, and the lusts of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is, is, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. So we must detach ourselves from the wisdom of the world. And James, actually, um, he spoke on this same subject as well in chapter 3, 13 through 17. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, in gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy or selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant so, and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which that comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wise from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And then, uh, in just in the next chapter, Paul, uh, I'm sorry, James becomes uh, much more bold. In uh, chapter four, verse four, you adulteresses, do you know that? Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James is talking about those people who are on the fence. They believe, yet they still want to dip their toe in, just as the Corinthians were doing. Um, this, this worldly wisdom was still appetizing to them. So the fact of the matter is, is that we have to make ourselves foolish to the ways of the world. This worldly wisdom is the enemy of God. Therefore, it's the enemy of us because Satan, who is the God of this world, wants nothing more than to destroy you. He wants to take from you. And he wants to give you trinkets and, and treatises that, that feel good and taste good and look appeasing and appealing only to strip you of everything that you have. And everything that you receive in this world, your home, your TVs, your cars, that will all go away. It will burn. I was talking to um, some of my, one of my kids the other day. I don't even remember who it was. Um, but we were talking about the TV, and they, they, he said, oh, I think it was Connor. Uh, but he said, what's going to happen to our TV, you know, like later on? Will we always have this TV? And, I, and it brought up a good point. No, we won't. Eventually, that TV is going to be in a dump. That car is eventually going to be in a dump. Eventually, the house that we live in is going to be torn down because it's of no use to anybody. Nobody will want it. That's the life that we live now. And soon, everything that we have, whether we're here or not, it will be gone. It will, it will go, go away. If you think about your favorite prized possession as a child, your, your blanket or a stuffed animal or a pillow or something. Think in your mind, imagine where that is today. Who, who knows? Who knows where it's at? That's the same way every prized possession of this world is. 
That's exactly where it becomes. It, it goes into nothingness. It disappears or gets destroyed. So now that we know the correct view of, the, of ourselves, let's read on through 1 Corinthians 3 verse 9 uh, and see what comes next. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness before God. For it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasoning of the wise that they are useless. By the way, everything that I read from 1 Corinthians from here on out is going to not be on the screen. I want you guys to keep your hands there in your Bible so we won't have to be flipping back and forth, but just stay right there in 1 Corinthians. So what Paul is doing here is he is using... Job 5.13, to back up what he is saying. How can, how can you argue with someone who says, this is what I've said, now this is what God has said. And that's exactly what he did here. Job 13, or I'm sorry, Job 5.13, he captures the wise by their own shrewdness, and the advice of the cunning is quickly thwarted. So, the wording of this is actually very similar to 1 Corinthians about how God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. It's almost like he had this verse in mind when he was writing those, those other verses before. He also references Psalms, uh, Psalm 94, 11. The Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are a mere breath. The wisdom of men are but a breath. They are, it, it's a vapor. It is nothing. It is useless compared to the knowledge of God. So this is the correct view that we have of ourselves. We must, we belong to Christ, and no part of us should be faithful to anything in this world. As Paul Washer wrote, the closer you come to God, the more of the world you must leave behind. The two are polar opposites. They are mutually exclusive, incompatible. This wisdom is, of the world is destructive. And it does nothing but pull us further and further from the Lord. It's self-righteous. It is arrogant and has no place in our lives because our God is a jealous God. And this begins a whole new thought which is the next correct view that is required of us as well uh, as the Corinthians. So, verse 21. So then let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you. So our first view that the Corinthians have to have is a proper view of themselves. Now, we're finding that next view is about Paul Apollos, or Cephas. So then let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, who is Peter, by the way. As we know, Paul spoke against this division due to special loyalties that were happening over the leaders in the church, but this time it's different. It's, it's, it's not so much condemning, but it's telling us all of these belong to us, or the, the Corinthians in context. There is no need to be partial to one because when he says all things belong to you, it is a reference to our adoption into the body of Christ. All was his, Christ, 
And now we share that ownership with Him as the body of Christ. All of the, the leaders that are given to a church is for everyone. Every member of that church is for everyone. Meaning that what you learn, I can learn from. And what I've learned, you can learn from. And we'll get back to this point here in a minute about, uh, about all things belong to you. Because he says it twice. So it must, it must mean something important. So this next correct view is not of ourselves, but is of others. So our first correct view was ourselves. Now we have to have the correct view of what others are in the body of Christ. Especially, especially the people who are in the body of Christ. But we also need all those who are outside of it. We have to understand who they are. What they are having that correct view. The church of Corinth was blessed to have such great leaders in their church. They had influence of two apostles. One started the church in Corinth. The other one literally walked with Jesus. And um, I just lost my spot. There we go. Uh, for his entire ministry, one of the very first apostles. They had Apollos, who was highly skilled in speaking, um, and not to just Christians, but those outside of Christianity. He was eloquent in speech, and people would come to hear him, hear him, uh, hear him speak. Um, all of these three were incredible teachers, yet they still boasted, uh, the, the Corinthians still boasted that they had a favorite man. Instead of being thankful for such a blessing to have these leaders in their human wisdom, they allowed it to divide them. And as far as unbelievers, they are left to fend for themselves uh, in this world. They are not given these leaders to guide them and help them grow, help them shine a light out of their foolishness. And even if they were, they would most likely, re likely reject it. That is what our mission is, to go and find those people who will not reject it. But this is God's design. It is His will. So let's read on to the third correct view that we need. We have ourselves and we have others. So what is this next correct view? For all things belong to you, the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all things belong to you. So this is giving us the correct view of our possessions. Ourselves, others, our possessions. As I stated earlier, because we have been adopted into the body of Christ, we share these things. Everything that God has created is meant for believers. Let's look at Romans 8.32. 8.32 he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us, how will he not also, uh, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Now, don't think for a second that I'm about to start preaching prosperity gospel. I'm not, uh, but that's what so many people take this verse as. But there's more. Remember, context is everything. Immediate, especially. So. Right down from that, Romans thirty-seven or Romans eight thirty-seven through through thirty-nine. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come 
nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I don't think we need to look back at 1 Corinthians to see the parallels here from our verse we were just reading about all things given to us, life, death, things present and things to come, those things are ours. Uh, but the difference here is that Paul finishes up with will, uh, will be able to separate us from the love of Christ. While in, verses, or while in the verse that we were just looking at in 1 Corinthians, he says, all things belong to you. So why can all of these things created not separate us from God, not separate us from His love? Because they were created for us. They were created for us. They belong to us. Not because we deserve them, but because we are one with Christ. We have been adopted. And right now, however, Satan is the God of this world. He, and, but when he's defeated, when he's defeated, we will then take authority over all of creation. So not only does it reference uh, the, the past, because we were giving authority then, it also references the, the, the future. We have these promises um, from the beginning and the end. So let's look at Genesis 1, 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth, every tree which has fruit, fruit yielding seed. It shall be food for you and every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and to every thing that moves on the earth which has life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that he, what he, all that he had made and behold, it was very good. There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So of course we know the tragic end to this story and human wisdom had much to play and blame on that. Trying to be wise, they wanted to understand the things of God and they became foolish. So, could it be that these verses, the first, first Corinthians verses that we were just talking about, you, all things are yours. And the Romans verse, all of these things cannot separate us from God. And then this, this, this verse, these verses in Genesis 1, they in interpret each other. Uh, they tie perfectly into our fourth point, our fourth and final correct view. So let's hop back to 1 Corinthians and find out what that is. For all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world, or life or death, or things present or things to come, all things belong to you. And you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. The fourth and final correct view that we, along with the Corinthians, must have to end the fleshliness, to end the division, to end the worldliness and the spiritual Im Im immaturity. I was about to say immorality, that too. Um, in our churches and in our own lives, we must have the correct view of our possessor. So the first one was ourselves. We, we have to know who we are. We have to know who others are in Christ. That's the second one. 
The third one is that we have to know our possessions. We have to have a clear and correct view of our possessions. And then the fourth one, we have to have a clear and correct view of our possessor. We belong to Christ. This is the most important view out of all of them. And as I stated before, we belong to a jealous God. Whenever we take our eyes off of Christ, that is when you'll start to see the fleshliness and the division and the worldliness and the spiritual immaturity. There's no growth. But when you set your eyes on Christ and you know that you are His and you remember that you are His and that you have a million brothers and sisters that are His, how could you be divided? And knowing that you are His, it is almost impossible to fall to temptation, to worldly wisdom or fleshly desires. In fact, every time I personally have fallen into temptation, I have forgot who my possessor is. I've taken my eyes off of Christ. I forgot that I belong to Christ. And this is something that we should never forget. Yet social media, TV, sports, video games, and so many other things of the world do such a good job at helping us forget. Maybe it's time that we start cutting some of those things out of our lives one by one. If that is where your conviction lies. So that we can remember who we belong to. We belong to Christ. He owns us. He owns us. We are, the Bible says that we are bond servants, a.k.a. slaves to Christ. So we're going to do a little recap. Four correct viewpoints that we have to have. These things will eliminate the, a majority of the issues that we face with our heart and with the people around us. Fleshliness, division, worldliness, and spiritual immaturity, all of these things can be eliminated by having the correct viewpoints. The first correct view uh, we are required to have in this world is a correct view of ourselves. We are nothing. Our wisdom is nothing. Human wisdom only invites destruction. We learned that God calls, uh, calls our thoughts and our ideas mere breath. And the the next correct view we must have is the correct view of others. We are one. We are together in the body of Christ, the spiritual leaders of God that God has placed in our lives. They belong to us all. We are a family, not to be divided, but to be unified. Another correct view we have to have is the correct view of our possessions. From the beginning of time, all that God has created was created for us. And there's nothing that, that was created that could separate him from us or his love. It belongs to us. Those things belong to us. We were adopted into the body of Christ. It was all his, and now we are heirs to everything that has been created. And the final and, of course, most important correct view is that we have to have the correct view of our possessor. We are the possession of the one true God. He is the creator of time and the creator of the heavens and the earth. We are His and every breath that we breathe 
is for Him to worship Him and to exalt Him. When our wisdom is foolish and it's lacking, He unveils the wisdom for us. In, his, in the proper view of ourselves, we can understand that. When we feel lost and alone, He has provided us with a community and fellowship of people, brothers and sisters, others, who we can learn from, we can live life with, that exalts Him. We are the heir to His possessions through adoption, and now He shares His possessions with us to make them our possessions. He is our maker and He's our provider. He is our life source. He is our wisdom. He must be everything in order to understand that. So do you live like it? Do you exalt Him above all else? I pray that this message has opened your eyes. If you don't, if that conviction is falling on you or you feel like you are lacking in those points, and if with all the time that I've spent preparing this message, if, if there is not a convic- conviction, if, if, if this doesn't make you want to read more and learn more and pour your life out more for Christ, then I have failed. I have failed. So if that is you and you feel like you are lacking, which we all absolutely should, but if you feel like you have not devoted your life to Christ, who would, your life is already His, but you have to get, you give Him that lordship over your life. If you feel like that's you and you haven't done that yet, I'd be more than happy to talk to you about that. You can come see me after service, um, or you can wait until Michael gets back. He should be back tonight or tomorrow, uh, and I can even give you his number. So let's pray.